Hi everyone and welcome to the April 2017 episode of the Equipment Watch Market Roundup. Today we're going to talk about what we saw in the used equipment markets last month and then we'll sit down with Sam and Elise Gregory to discuss the Tier 4 impact on resale prices. Equipment Watch produces the leading database information products for the construction equipment industry and is the world leader in heavy construction research and serves more than 15,000 professional high volume users of construction and lift truck data. Our online products are valuable tools and decisions surrounding the purchase, valuation, operation, and disposal of equipment. Hi everyone, I'm your host Greg Lutz and I'm sitting here as usual with Sam Giffen, Director of Business Insights. Hey Sam. Hi Greg. Now as, as most of the listeners probably already know, this podcast is a complement to our monthly Equipment Watch Market Report, right? Our flagship content that covers everything going on in the used markets. But normally we'd be looking backwards. This episode's a little different, right? That's right. As we, we mentioned last month that we've done some major overhaul of our, our data pipeline for the analysts that build this report, and it's allowed us to bring insights and commentary from the data in the report way earlier than we could have previously. So we're able to actually sit down here, and, and you and I will be able to talk about what happened in March before the report even goes live. Right. A, a big a big improvement for us, obviously. Right. I think this podcast will actually be going out a day before we publish the market report. So a little bit change in protocol. The upside is, is you, the listener, get a lot more updated and fresh data. Uh, the downside is we'll probably be a bit unpolished when it comes to commentary. So us, bear with us. Unpolished? <laughs> right, right. But uh, so jumping right in, Sam, uh, what's the, the big theme of the market report for, for this month? Well, I'd say, I'd say the big theme is, is probably twofold. We had an outstanding month in auction activity. In March of 2017, we recorded about 13,300 transactions from the auction channel, which actually makes it the largest March on record since we've been tracking auctions, which we started in 1994. That's, so it's a huge March. How, about, how does that compare to February? February is the big month, right? Well, actually, it's funny how that's starting to work out. There's starting to be a trend where the gap between February and March is, is slowly diminishing. Obviously, if you think about it from a, a, a rational perspective, uh, not everyone can make it down to Florida mm -hmm. in February. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really centralized to North America. So you're starting to see the smart auctioneers and smart auction houses are holding complementary auctions in other parts, whether it's Canada or the United States, to complement those Florida auctions in March. And so what, we're, what I think we're seeing is a, a general decentralization of the auction season in February mm -hmm. as more people are going to local regional auctions closer to them because they believe they're getting the same quality of equipment. Interesting. Now, when it comes to auction activity, you always have to take a closer look, right? So a really busy auction month could be a, a good sign or a bad sign, right? I mean, if everybody's dumping, that's, that's definitely not what you want to see. Are we seeing, you know, good assets on the market, bad assets? What, what does it tell you about the overall construction economy? You know, we, we've talked about it before, but one of the major indicators of, of any sort of dumping on an auction market is uh, stability in FLV, force liquidation value, with dramatic changes, typically decreases in the average usage or average age of the assets on the market. 
But actually what we saw in March was the opposite. We saw values went down slightly, just under 1%. Hmm. So not really substantial, about what you would expect after the highs of February. But we actually saw average age and usage jump through the roof. So that's an indication that it's older, more heavily utilized assets right. being sent to auction in March than in February. So typically, it's probably safe to assume it's not a dumping situation. Hmm. That's a good sign. I would agree. You mentioned there were two major themes. That was the first. What was the second? You know, resale market activity has dropped about 15% for over the past two months, which typically is indicative of either a market contraction or high market velocity. And here, I'm not talking about the market velocity metric used for financial trading. I'm more talking about how quickly an asset moves from being entered onto the market as a list to disappearing from the market due to purchase. Okay. So given that average fair market value in February, March has actually decreased just about 1% over that same period, which again runs counter to our typical assumption of the laws of supply and demand, mm -hmm. it's far more likely that the heavy equipment resale markets are accelerating rather than contracting. More people are listing equipment and having them sold within a relatively shorter period than uh, in months prior. So still, eventually, in the long term, don't you expect that to drive prices up if that demand is there? Yes. Was that indicated in the, in the price index? A little bit. We're forecasting it still. But I think what we can expect to see is, you know, we, we live in a, a, a world in which there is, in fact, a finite supply mm -hmm. of sellable heavy equipment. And so as the, as the best equipment, is listed and sold, typically you see worse quality equipment or older equipment or more heavily utilized equipment reach market as potential sellers realize that it will be easier and easier to sell this equipment that normally may not have sold when it was competing against the best equipment. And so I think what we'll see is over the summer months, we believe we'll see age and usage on the resale channel creep up, and we should actually also see prices go up initially and then level out. Uh, and I believe that also in the summer, it's a pretty low market activity period, typically. Not a lot of activity for yellow iron or for lift and access. And I think that all of that will, will bring us back to a, a stable level for all four factors. Gotcha. So, I mean, kind of looking back on, on the quarter as a whole, it seems like a huge quarter for auctions and auction activity. And maybe a, a slightly declining but, but soon to rise resale market. Am I hearing that right? Well, I actually, I actually think you're absolutely right on the auction. I think we should think that the resale channel, if it is, in fact, a, a market velocity factor that's happening, that is actually a great sign of optimism. If you're, if you're selling. Yeah, if you're selling, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. So if, you, if you're in the market, maybe buy now. So that's a great kind of overall look at what's been going on. But as is typical, let's run through each market that we cover individually and get your take on what you've seen and what you think is going to happen next. So should we start with construction? Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, our earlier topic was pretty construction heavy. So beyond that, I think it's just safe to say that we're really, we're really seeing lagged influences here in the market. So for future reports, we may start comparing uh, changes in average fair market value mm -hmm. and force liquidation value to previous months, market activity changes because I believe that the, the lag is shrinking a bit. And so it's kind of interesting to highlight that. Interesting. Okay. 
What about lift and access? Lift and access, the, the big story is all about asset mix. Okay. Um, we saw the total market value, which is the, the total value in dollars assigned to all of the assets that we track on the resale channel, increased 11% in March, even as the number of assets decreased 6%. So we really saw larger, more expensive, and newer equipment reaching the, the market for lift and access in March. What does that tell you about consumer behavior in this market? Honestly, not a whole lot, except that, again, in the first quarter of the year, activity is high. And mm -hmm. assets are being sold much more frequently than they will until the end of the year. Right. When we look at the year-over-year -year change in uh, the resale channel activity, we're only off last year's level by about 0.2%. Okay. While it's an interesting month-over-month -month change, I don't generally see it as a, uh, a significant change in, in the long-term trends of the market. So this question goes probably beyond lift and access, but since it's on my mind, are you seeing lease assets in the, in the market more often? So, I mean, anecdotally, you talk to, to end users in the market, and a lot of them are saying, I'm going to, to a full lease situation. You know, I'm not outright buying the traditional way I used to. Does that kind of creep into the data you see as well, or, or do you think that's really just a small vocal minority? No, I think it creeps into the data. It's very hard to differentiate an off-lease piece of equipment from um, any other type of equipment, like an original owner-operator asset. However, we do know that the concept of a short-term lease mm -hmm. um, that only goes a year or um, a year and a half or two years is becoming more and more prevalent to compete with the new aversion to ownership. Right. And so, yeah, I think we're seeing more off-lease assets simply as a, as a result of shortening lease terms. Interesting. Okay. Well, if that's all for lift and access, let's move on to agriculture. Sure. So the interesting thing that happened in agriculture in March was uh, what, what we would call a year-over-year flip-flop. Okay. Average fair market values and forced liquidation values dropped in March after an increase in both January and February of this year. Those values fell nearly 9% below where they were this time last year. But volume for the resale market was down from February as auction increased. This is the exact opposite of what we saw last year when resale was up and auction declined. Maybe I'm hearing you wrong. Is, is this actually good news for the agriculture market? It could be an indicator of a changing tide. Uh, for the agriculture market as a whole. It is way too early to say because we've been dealing with almost 16 months now of right. declines, but it is really something to pay attention to. I think any good news in, in that market is, is going to be very welcomed. So I won't ask any more about that market. Let's move on to our final market, commercial trucks. So on the commercial truck market, we, we had a slight deflation in our price stability index. Uh, average fair market values went down this past month, but what was really interesting was that we actually saw average usage, or in this case mileage, mm -hmm. was down across the board on the auction channel for over last year, and there were only two increases in the month of March. It was Freightliner and Volvo, where they actually jumped over the February levels. So the, the vast majority of trucks on the market seem to be uh, more gently used, but what does that, what does that mean for, for us, right? I think it ties back into the changing in the auction channel. We typically expect to see younger and less used equipment.
equipment reach the auction markets in February. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing here is that Freightliner and Volvo, in fact, matched that theory. If their average usage went up from February to March, they tend to, to stick with the standard theory that the newest equipment is sold at auction in February. But for Hino and International and Peterbilt to actually show decreases this month over last month, I think it again sort of emphasizes the decentralization in the auction market. Right. I mean, this is this is really interesting, but kind of just trying to dive into what's the actionable piece of information here. You know, if I'm buying or selling equipment, what are you telling me right now? You know, is is the traditional wisdom of hey, this is the time of year you buy, and this is the time of use time of the year where you sell, does it just not really hold up anymore, or what's the deal? I think, again, I think we're seeing some of the breakdowns of those traditional structures. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think if you are not project constrained, then maybe it's worth doing a little extra homework um, to find out when exactly it really makes sense for your particular type of equipment to buy or sell. And it may not be what you've expected. (laughs) Interesting. Well, I think that wraps up the market analysis portion of today's show. Uh, Sam, I think you're sticking around for the the second half, right? Yes, I am. All right. Well, let me also welcome Elise Gregory, uh, who's an analyst on our cost team and the author of the Tier 4 Report. Welcome, Elise. Hi, Greg. Hi, Sam. Thanks for coming. Uh, So you are the resident Tier 4 expert in our office. So why don't you give you know a little background uh, on today's topic? I know we're specifically talking about the engine impact on resale prices, but for those of us who may not be incredibly familiar with Tier 4 as a concept, uh, enlighten us, please. As part of the Clean Air Act in 2004, the EPA signed the final rule introducing Tier 4 emission standards, which is basically cleaner engines. The EPA requires all engine manufacturers to meet certain regulations. Um, In 2011, Tier 4 interim emission standards became effective, and then in 2015, Tier 4 final emission standards became effective. The past couple of years, the cost team has researched kind of the impact on the cost side of of implementing Tier 4 emission standards. So what does this mean if you're you're Caterpillar, you're JLG? What what does this mean I, I can or cannot do as a producer of equipment? It means that you cannot produce any engines that that don't meet the EPA's regulations. Got it. I think it's worth pointing out that it wasn't just a a complete cold turkey shift. The EPA actually phased in these changes over many years from Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4 interim, and Tier 4 final. Exactly. And it, I believe it was based on horsepower ranges, right? And so the yes, small... that's, that's exactly how they've been phasing things in. So the smaller, smaller horsepower engines were phased in first, generally because it's probably a little bit easier. And then, you know, your, your cranes and your excavators and your bigger horsepower equipment was, was probably part of the final phase. Well, clean air is a good thing, right? We all like clean air. <laughs> was this, uh, this concept kind of adopted happily into the, into the market or...? Kind of kicking and screaming. Um, It's probably been a little bit more of the latter, but everyone has to adjust differently. So in the finance market, for example, over the over span of 12 months, they've seen almost double the amount of tier four equipment and 63% of the heavy equipment financed over those past 12 months were tier four equipment. Now, assuming those were higher priced equipment, that's good for finance, right? 
Exactly. All right. Yeah. And, and again, from a market perspective, obviously no one party or your manufacturer or contractor is happy about the increased cost to produce or purchase an asset. Mm-hmm. But it's generally safe to assume that these newer, more modern engines may, it's been forecasted that they will reduce the, the occurrence of maintenance. And generally speaking, those assets should have a longer economic life and thus create more value. And actually, at least I think in, in the report you guys put out last year, contractors actually uh, affirmed that. You know, they said, you, you guys asked on average, how long do you expect equipment to last in total? And the difference between tier four and tier three was 1,200 hours. Yes, that's right. They do expect tier four equipment to, to have a longer economic life. Um, but one thing that they are seeing is increased maintenance costs pretty much across the board with tier four equipment. Um, it's also required their mechanics to have extra training, which has then increased the hourly mechanics wage. Um, so equipment owners aren't quite as happy about that part. That makes sense. So it's been a couple years now that that tier four has been prevalent in the marketplace, uh, that that standard was introduced. You know, we, we got a lot of insight from our, our contractor, our user base, right? Through surveys and through one-on-one conversations, which is how we created the tier four report to start with. But now, you know, Sam taking a look at the aggregate market level, right? The, the big data approach. Are you starting to be able to see these machines hit the secondary market? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, as we, we talked about earlier, the um, the impact of shorter and shorter lease terms along with really what, it, what we should probably call uh, a boom compared to the past 10 years of, of post-recession and, and rebuilding time. We're, we're really in a, in a point where confidence is high and people are purchasing and, and using uh, Tier 4 assets at, at a rate that we have not seen since they were introduced. The the final the final bracket based on those horsepower ratings for tier four was introduced in two thousand and fifteen. So we're just about two years out from those assets first hitting the market. And we are actually starting to see pretty interesting trends show up on the resale channel. Do we have any sense of penetration into the market? You know, how much of the activity right now really is made up by, by Tier 4. Is it significant? Not yet. It's it's small but growing. We know that the, the average first ownership or the first economic life of a piece of equipment is between three to five years, right? And that's generally that's your first lease period. That's your first ownership period. And after that, then we see economic life, again, jump back out through second ownership. And then really they phase out into salvage value somewhere around the 10-year mark. Mm-hmm. The highest density of, of equipment we see on the market is between six and eight years old, just given how production cycles shifted in 2008 and 2009 during the recession and how they've been building up since then. But what we're seeing with Tier 4, obviously Tier 3 models are, are phasing out of the market very quickly. Mm-hmm. But Tier 4 interim uh, is still pretty prevalent uh, on the market, and Tier 4 final is starting to grow. And it, it really varies by equipment type because... The Tier 4 regulations, the move from Tier 4 interim to Tier 4 final, was phased in based on those horsepower ranges. And so for your smaller equipment, like a a skid steer loader or a compact track loader, you're going to see a much higher density of Tier 4 final assets in the market than for, you know, a 200 metric ton excavator. 
So the most concerned party here, and for good reason, since they're the most impacted, uh, are the actual contractors, right? The end users of this equipment. So at least you've been researching their expectations and reality uh, when it comes to Tier 4 for, for three years now. What have you found in, over that time? So from the equipment owners, one thing we have found was that over half of people said that they do expect to pay more for um, overhauling Tier 4 equipment. Also, over half of people expect fuel costs to, to stay the same, which is surprising since Tier 4 is supposed to lower fuel costs. Lastly, no one thinks that the total cost of ownership is less than what they expected. Everyone says it's either on par, or it's a little bit more expensive, or it's much more expensive than what they were expecting owning Tier 4 equipment would cost them. So, obviously, the contractors expected their ownership and operating costs to go up a little bit. Not, not a big surprise there. What did you learn in terms of their expected purchasing behavior? We actually asked people that question, whether or not they plan to invest in any tier 4 equipment in the next 18 months, and surprisingly it was split pretty much 50-50. 49% of respondents said that yes, they, they did have plans to purchase some sort of tier 4 equipment, and the other 51% said no. So if, if half the contractors ended up buying tier 4 equipment, you know, this study is about a year or two old, Sam, you should start to, to see this activity on, on the markets you track, right? Absolutely, and um, that's actually something we have seen. We we now are at the point where we we feel confident that we can start to isolate the tier four final versus tier four interim versus tier three assets on the market, and really look at how asking prices are are changing as a result of those factors. So, how are asking prices changing as a result of those factors? We we did a little research recently, and. When we looked at particular equipment types, we found that the way they reacted to the introduction of Tier 4 Final and Tier 4 Interim in the market varied pretty significantly. So if you look at excavators, skid steer loaders, or telehandlers, Tier 4 Final assets were actually priced higher on the market than Tier 4 Interim. But we also found that Four-wheel drive articulated wheel loaders and compactors were actually priced lower so that the interims were getting higher asking prices than the finals. Really? Yes. With the, um, with the wheel loaders, the easy, the easy explanation for that is in the market activity. There's almost no market penetration by Tier 4 final four-wheel drive articulated wheel loaders. Um, and so what data we have is, is very minimal. Right. And typically you have to assume that when, when market penetration is low, the assets that do get to market are probably in disrepair. Right. Or um, generally consider worse condition than, than their counterparts. Where it's also really interesting is with standard crawler dozers and compact track loaders, it's actually too close to call. The average asking price for Tier 4 final versus Tier 4 interim has fluctuated and there's been a, a give and take and it's very hard right now to to actually extrapolate a trend in those two equipment types. Interesting. But overall, the, the Tier 4 compliant equipment is fetching a premium on the market compared to its non-Tier 4 counterparts or no? Is there a clear winner here? I don't think there is yet. Uh, again, we're still only a few years removed from the 
introduction of Tier 4 final requirements. And as we know, the, the, the prime time to hit the market uh, for the resale channel is between six to eight years old. Right. So we really haven't even seen the full influx of Tier 4 final we're going to. And there's an artificial market force at play here, too, because Tier 4 interim production has to stop. And so at some point, there just won't be Tier 4 interim models on the market. When you have a finite supply over time, you know that eventually it, the, the value of those finite assets will drop. Uh, and this isn't really a market where, where collectibles becomes a, an element, right? That's the only time. Think about the auto market. Over time, certain assets go up in value simply because they reach collector status. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a lot of collectors of excavators. So, Elise, I'll ask you to represent the, the fleet manager perspective here. This Tier 4 equipment was, was more expensive to buy originally, not holding up significantly better to its non-Tier 4 counterparts on the secondary market. So if you're concerned about your, your ownership and operating costs, how does this affect your, your decision-making? Are, are you better off, worse off with, with this new regulation? It's, it's kind of tough um, since maintenance costs generally are still a little bit higher for, for Tier 4 equipment. It's going to in- increase ownership and operating a little bit, obviously. But but equipment owners are still kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because there are still a lot of uh, projects that will require them to use tier four equipment versus tier three. Um, so even though you know they could go buy a tier three versus tier four on the resale market, in the long run, once the market adjusts, it will probably be more beneficial for them to invest in the tier four equipment. So to stay competitive, even exactly. though it costs a little bit more, it, it might make sense. Mm-hmm. Sam, Sam, what do you think? I mean, again, in the short term, it sounds to me like, you know, these, these equipment owners are kind of getting a raw deal, but maybe that's just uh, me being short-sighted. Well, no, I think, I think everyone, everyone's entitled to be short-sighted when it impacts your industry, right? But uh, generally, we know anytime artificial regulations get imposed on a market, in the short run, there are productivity losses. But over time, anyone impacted by regulations they're able to pass on any increased cost to their customers. And over time, market equilibrium is reached in the long run. And so I think as long as there is, a, is an optimal outcome to the Tier 4 uh, regulations and to any additional EPA regulations that are coming down the road, I think as long as the markets are given time to adjust properly, that I think we should see a lot of the pain points disappear over time. And we get clean air, which is good. All right. Well, I want to thank Sam Giffen and Elise Gregory. That wraps up our show for today. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. The market report and all of our intelligence reports are available on intel.equipmentwatch.com for download. And if you'd like to learn more about us and our products, visit us at www.equipmentwatch.com. Thanks so much. Have a great month, and we'll see you next time.